Hello, this is Kristen McDonald, and welcome to Second Vision. My guest today is Leonard Perlmutter. If you are struggling or unhappy in any aspect of your life, then chances are that you made a choice that wasn't tuned into your conscience. We've all done it. And now, a brilliant new book by Leonard Perlmutter, Your Conscience, the key to unlock limitless wisdom and creativity and solve all of life's challenges. It shows you how to give your conscience sway in your life so that all your decisions support and guide you to act in your highest good, leading to a life of joy, love, peace, and personal and professional success. Leonard Perlmutter is the founder and director of the American Meditation Institute in Averill Park, New York. And he is also the author of the best-selling Heart and Science of Yoga and originator of National Conscience Month. And Leonard also serves as the author and editor of Transformation, the Journal of Meditation as Mind-slash-Body Medicine. And I am so delighted to have him back on the show after a couple of years. So nice to have you here, Leonard. Thank you. It's a real honor. I, I deeply appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I'm really excited about your new book, and I wanted to start by asking you, you know, to explain to people what is the conscious mind and how can we listen to it and how can we solve problems by doing so? Well, we all know that we have a conscience, and we also know that we have other voices in our mind. The conscience itself is a very interesting function that we have, because it is the only function of the mind that can discriminate, determine, judge, and decide. And when we use the conscience, we know that we feel pretty well. And when we don't, a lot of times we experience guilt, and it's painful. But the conscience has the capacity to tell us what to do, and what not to do in every situation, what thought to think, which word to choose, which action to take, that will always lead us for our highest and greatest good. Well, that it, sounds wonderful, but most of us don't do it all day long. <laughs> so is no, this, well, is this so comparable to your intuitive voice, like having a gut feeling? Yes, yes, because very often that gut feeling comes to us physiologically before we can intellectualize the situation. So they've often said that the gut is the second brain, but it really is the second conscience. The conscience is everywhere. We, We just need to tune into it. But it's a challenge because these other voices in our mind, they're loud, they're pushy, they're insistent, they're often wrong, but they're never in doubt. Now, is that the ego that takes over when you fight with your gut feeling, with the conscience? Well, Because you, you say know, there's a, four parts, a, right, to the brain? Of, it's a bit of a three-part harmony uh, mm-hmm. uh, in opposition many times to what the conscience can do. First and foremost, of course, is the ego. Now, the ego is anything that separates me from my essential nature. Well, what is my essential nature? Well, let's... Let's start by saying what is not my essential nature. And so I do have a body, but I'm not the body. 
I remember when I was five years old, I had a small body. Now, I'm in the afternoon of life, I have a, a tall body. So if I were my body, would I be the short body or the tall body? No, I, I, I'm not the body because the body is constantly changing. In fact, every day, uh, the majority of the cells in the body change. So it's a, it's a process rather than a, an object. So, no, I'm not the body and I'm not my mind. Yes, I have thoughts, desires, and emotions, and I have relationships with them, but I am not my thoughts. I am not my desires or emotions. And so then, what am I? I am essentially spirit having a human experience. I am an eternal being, pure consciousness, that awareness that is within me. And within consciousness itself resides an intuitive library of wisdom. We call it the superconscious portion of the mind. It's beyond the conscious portion. It's beyond the unconscious. At the center of consciousness, what we refer to uh, uh, spiritually or our soul, there's an intuitive library of wisdom existing there that can always tell us 24-7, what to do and what not to do. I like that, they, the way you put it, the library, you know, because there's so much stored there. But, that's right. But we often have to be quiet to hear these voices, don't we? And yes, that's we where do. the meditation comes in. Yes, yes. And the other function, the other function, in addition to uh, the ego, uh, which is always looking for us to reprise pleasure, Mm-hmm. and to eliminate pain. Uh, always looking for that which is pleasant and disregarding that which is unpleasant. But we already know from our own personal experience that which is pleasant isn't always good for us. Oh, true. And that which is unpleasant is not always bad. So if I get locked into uh, just serving my likes and my dislikes then that mental inflexibility has to create conflict in the consciousness of every cell, which means that mental inflexibility is sooner or later going to bring physical inflexibility, and mm-hmm. that becomes painful. I see. So that's the okay. ego. That's the ego. That's one of the four major functions of the mind. Right, the, right. The second, the second function... These are our senses of sight and smell and taste and hearing and touch. So the mind projects, just like squeezing a tube of toothpaste, the mind projects our creative energy through the eyes, the nostrils, the mouth, the ears, the hands and the feet to look and smell and taste and hear and touch and perceive part, part of the universe part of the phenomenal world to determine which kinds of relationships are going to make me happy and which are going to make me secure yeah it, it's interesting too especially with my loss of sight someone said to me well you didn't see his expression once in a store and i said oh no <laughs> i felt it i felt it 10 times greater than oh. you did that's right that's right that's yeah exactly so we right. we perceive what's good and bad for us 
Yes. For our senses. That's interesting. Okay, so the ego and then our senses. And what's the third? The unconscious, the repository to everything that we deem essential to our self-preservation is in the unconscious. All these habits, all these concepts, many of them faulty concepts. You know, a correct concept would be one plus two equals three. Mm-hmm. But I've had teachers, and I was young, and I was impressionable as a child, and they taught me that one plus two is four. And I believe them. And <laughs> in certain kinds of situations and relationships, when my emotional buttons are pushed, my go-to is that concept, one plus two equals four. And you revert back. We, and I revert back. And every time mm-hmm. I use those faulty concepts, I wind up in pain and I wind up causing pain to others. Very interesting. And so that's your unconscious, not your subconscious. Well, I think they're synonymous. Okay, they're synonymous. So when we dream at night, that's our sort of our subconscious. Yes, it comes from the unconscious. Working overtime yes, it, comes from yes. the unconscious. Right. Yes, it comes from the unconscious. That's right. Right. Okay. So you have and, your ego. Mm-hmm. You have your senses. You have mm-hmm. your unconscious mind. Have the conscience, which is very interesting because the conscience really acts as a mirror. It can reflect wisdom from the superconscious portion of the mind. Mm-hmm. That's what it does. And when the ego senses an unconscious mind are not loud and screaming, the conscience can reflect wisdom from the superconscious mind into our conscious mind. And we will know what's to be done and what's not to be done. But so how most do you often, into that? Through meditation? Well, yes, that's right. And that provides us tools. But yeah. we have to remember, and this is critically important for folks to, to know, when the ego senses and unconscious mind are unwilling to give up their own personal agendas, their own limited perspectives, then the conscience becomes overwhelmed and its reflective capacity is diminished. And so because the conscience is the only function of the mind that can judge and decide... It will judge and it will decide based on the limited and very often faulty concepts presented by the ego senses and unconscious mind. So in that case, the conscience makes the decision, but really it's just a rubber stamp of the ignorance of the ego senses and unconscious mind. So it loses all of its power. It loses its power. Yeah. And so what we have to do, our our work, our human work in every relationship, is to learn to parent and train the ego, parent and train the senses, parent and train the unconscious mind to recognize that the conscience alone has the capacity to reflect wisdom from the superconscious mind. Mm-hmm. And for the sake of an experiment we ask the ego senses and unconscious mind to support the conscience. 
So you do that through affirmations when you're meditating? Let's say you have a decision and you know sort of in your gut it's wrong, but you you're, have your personal agenda, like you say. So you want to keep going forward because it gives you pleasure in some areas. So, so you're talking about then you, you train it through meditation and consciously affirmations and fighting with the ego and, and uh, well, training no, it? Well, no, I would, I would not say fighting with the ego. Okay. I would say loving the ego mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I don't want to get rid of the ego. I need a healthy ego. I cannot, right. I cannot speak to you in an in- intelligent manner without employing my ego right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, when I go uh, shopping, uh, I-, I need a healthy ego to uh, drive my automobile. Yes, yes, to function. Yeah. Uh, so I want to simply expand the panorama of what the ego can see. Mm-hmm. And I do that through the scientific experimentation process. I ask the ego and senses and unconscious mind to experiment with what the conscience is saying. And I and I and I start the process with something that's easy. So for example, if if I finished dinner and the question comes up in my mind, are you going to brush your teeth? Well, I immediately have a family meeting. I sit down around the kitchen table with the ego, the senses, the unconscious mind, and the conscience. And I say to the ego, what's your opinion? Do you think that we should brush our teeth? <laughs> and of course, the, the ego is all about pleasure. So, no, I, that's not pleasant. I, I, I don't want to do that. Okay, well, how, how about uh, the senses? What, what do you say? Oh, uh, I'd like a second slice of apple pie instead of brushing my teeth. <laughs> All right. And and what about uh, you, uh, unconscious mind? Oh, well, I'm with the other two because I have fond <laughs> memories of that second apple pie uh, slice. And what about the conscience? Well, you know, this life is a, a marathon. It's not a sprint. You need good, healthy teeth and good, healthy gums, and you need a good strong immune system, and brushing your teeth will do that. So I think That's it's a great fairly, analogy. I, love I, think it. it's, I think it's a no-brainer. Why don't we just all go into the bathroom, <laughs> brush the teeth, then we'll come back to the kitchen table and talk about what you experienced. And, you know, my experience is that the ego had a pleasant experience. The senses uh, takes its tongue and, and rubs it on the on, on on the teeth and says, oh, yeah, I don't have any of uh, that mossy feeling on uh, on my teeth right now after brushing the teeth. And the unconscious mind said, well, yeah, well, maybe it's okay. So they all experience a benefit. And it was right. relatively so you have a committee easy. meeting. That's right. That's yeah, right. Because a we're a holistic meeting. organism, right? We, we need everybody yeah. to pull in the same direction. Right yes, now, it's anarchy in the mind. That's right. It's just the that's loudest right. There's voice. too much that, of that in the world. That's well. That's just a reflection of what's going on in our minds, right? It's true. It's true. That's right. That's right. You're right. You're right. So, are there two kinds of thoughts? You say, tell us about the two kinds of thoughts that we have, and why karma is so important too. Yes, there are two kinds of thoughts, and this is very interesting. And I'm going to bring up uh, uh, two Sanskrit concepts. Sanskrit is the ancient Indian language. 
And, and Sanskrit is an interesting language because unlike English and German, which uh, emphasize material objects in the, in the language, Sanskrit emphasizes spiritual concepts. And so in Sanskrit, there are two, two terms. One is called preya, and the other is shreya. And they sort of go together, and you can sense that because they rhyme, preya, shreya. Well, the preya thoughts represent some form of an ego or sense gratification that conflicts with our superconscious wisdom. So that might be that second slice of uh, apple pie. It might and be that's fear. called the preya. Preya. It might mm-hmm. be. It might be fear. It might be anger or judgment, or some desire for something that might give us a passing pleasure, mm-hmm. but but always leaves pain in its wake. So that's preya. And that's sort of the ground upon which the personality currently stands. We are addicted to a lot of preyas in our lives. Yes, yes. And, and, and the second term is called a shreya. The Shreya is not so comfortable, not so familiar, not so attractive, but it will always bring us closer and closer to fulfilling the purpose of our lives without pain. So, what to do? Well, obviously, we want to make sure that every thought we think and every word we speak and every action we take is in service to the Shreya. But that's not always possible. When, uh, for example, I'm uh, driving uh, to work and, and somebody cuts me off in traffic going at about 90 miles an hour and I have to slam on the brake, what mm-hmm. happens? Oh, I have a relationship with anger. Right, you react. Right. What am I going to do with it? How am I going to dance with it? If I give it more and more attention, what happens? Oh, my entire physiology is poisoned. I'm hurting yes. myself. Yes, absolutely. I'm hurting myself. Yeah, these people will honk, and they uh, it's, yes. it's just road rage. That's where it starts. You know, if you react, you know, if right. you don't react, don't engage, don't react. So so I have to ask myself, well, what is anger? And I say to myself, anger is just energy. And so I say, well, Leonard, what do you know about energy? Well, I learned in fifth grade Energy cannot be created, and it can't be destroyed, but it can be transformed. No, energy can be transformed. Ice can be transformed into water. Water can be transformed into steam. Yes, but what about anger? Oh, anger, that's energy too. And so when when we are in the midst of a thought and an emotion that's so powerful, filled with anger, if we can sacrifice it, If we can offer that emotion back to the origin from which it came, and of course everything comes from the one, we call that G-O-D, right? Everything is manifested by Mm G-O-D, so you offer it back. And the act of sacrifice in Latin and Italian, sacrifaci, means to make that energy sacred and by sacrificing it back, it's actually repurposed. It's like sending crude oil 
to a refinery. I can offer that energy of anger back to the origin from which it came. Miraculously, it will automatically be transformed into strategic reserves of healing energy, willpower, and an increase in my access to the superconscious portion of the mind, which makes me more creative, simply by giving up that emotion. Oh, that's beautiful. Because they're really worthless emotions. You know, I mean, anger or even rage or fear, any of it, they really don't serve us at all. You know, even in an emergency when you think, oh, the house is on fire, and you're, you know, I mean, where do you go with that if you if you can't, um, there, there's no payoff is what I'm saying, you know. Like you that's say, you just hurt yourself yeah. and hurt others. Well that's, well, that's the payoff, right? We, we, we wind up hurting ourselves. We're our worst enemies. Yes. Yes, the mind is our problem. The mind is mm-hmm. our problem, and the mind is our solution. We have mm-hmm. to work with the mind to go beyond the faulty concepts that exist in our mind. We mm-hmm. have to change our software. We do that with the computer. You know, we you know we if we have a virus on our computer, what do we do? We try to get rid of the, the virus so that our software uh, uh, will operate more efficiently. Do we ever do that with our own mind? No, we just carry these faulty concepts wherever we go. And when we become emotionally triggered in certain situations, we use those concepts, and we always wind up in pain. We're like a Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, yeah. And so a little bit more on the karmic thoughts. Do you Are you saying that God hears all of our thoughts? And there is two kinds of thoughts, right? The, the, the two that you just described. Yes, the prey um, and the shreya. Right, right. And and who is God? God is just consciousness. Right. Right? And that right. means awareness. We are mm-hmm. aware of thoughts. Mm-hmm. Remember, this is the seventh day of creation. And I'm experiencing it through this mind-body-sense complex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because God, in order to be God, must experience the infinite number of possibilities. And those infinite number of possibilities can only exist through ignorance. The perfection of the supreme intelligence has to be covered. So do you have to believe in God to benefit from the kind of meditation that you're talking about for for everyone listening? Absolutely not. No. No, Mm -hmm. absolutely not. In fact, I encourage... All my students and anybody who's listening who's interested, I say, be a doubting Thomas. Be a doubting Thomas. I consider myself a doubting Thomas, but I'm also motivated and willing to experiment with the truth reflected by the conscience. And then even the doubting Thomas, in the midst of a scientific experiment, will recognize the truth, then we will no longer be the Doubting Thomas. We will know the truth, and we will know that we know it. Through experience, of course. Through personal experience. The highest, yeah. This is the highest knowledge of all, personal experience. Yes. yes. God is good. Now, in your book, is this um, a how-to book? Is it a... How is yes, your book? it is. Yes, it, it is. is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
And is it on Kindle or? Yes, it I, is. I don't think it's. Yes. Oh, it is great. Yes. Okay, it's not on audio yet, right? Uh, no. No, you, you should really look into Audible. You'd be so wonderful narrating it yourself. You know. Yeah, I'm looking for energy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure with everything that you're doing. Oh my God! Right. Well, I'll narrate right. it for you. <laughs> no, it sounds wonderful. So, so it's. Um, uh, tell us the name of the book again and your website. And you also do uh, workshops, right, for people? Sure. I remember last time? Sure, yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that since we're, you know, we always have limited time, unfortunately. We could go on forever. Well, the book is called Your Conscience. Hmm? And uh, it's available at all the major fine booksellers. You can get it at Amazon. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. You can also get it through us at Your conscience.org yourconscience.org and okay, I also great. throughout the year I I conduct uh, workshops uh, on this type of knowledge every six weeks we have a new semester and people can take a look at our website our main website which is americanmeditation.org Great. So if someone were buying your book and they were looking for a 101 on meditation, would your book be a good place to start? If someone... Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, great. You know, I find, especially during the pandemic, meditation is so important and I have to keep going back to it because, you know, with our phones, people have something in their... At least I do. I have something in my ear all the time, you know, whether it's the an audible book or something self-improvement um, or then it's the news. And it's really just, you have to, I told my sister the other day, the only time we find the answers is when we're quiet. You know, that's why people pray, yes. you yes. know, and it's that's the same right. thing, the quiet moments. And that's everything that you're talking about today is a reminder to me and I hope those people listening that we need to be quiet to find the answers, the right answers to lead us in the right way to joy, as you say, and peace and harmony, you know, so we don't go off the rails on the highway. And you're correct because meditation provides us the tools to act skillfully. It provides us the ability to focus our mind in a one-pointed way. And what does that do? Well, it creates a space between stimulus and response. And that space between stimulus and response then provides me the freedom to redirect my attention to the conscience so that I can become more creative in my response. And by serving the conscience and coordinating the ego senses and unconscious mind, I willingly give up some old prayer, some old attachment, mm-hmm. some old faulty concept. And what does that process do? Oh, it increases the muscles of willpower. So one-pointed attention, detachment, creativity, and willpower are the four tools that we learn every time we sit for a 60-second meditation. And then you can use those tools in every single relationship that you have. Yes, yes. And so when now you're so accomplished in meditation. When you meditate, do you meditate with a one word, or do you go to a certain place? You know, I, I have a, a group I meditate with. Um, in fact, it's on Saturday again, too. And, uh, you know, 
sometimes the, the person who hosts it leads us through this beautiful meditation where we're, you know, where we were safe either as a child or where we feel empowered. So anyway, what I'm asking you is, do you, um, do you use words or just breath or combination? We use mantra. Our, our lineage, which is the oldest spiritual tradition in the world, mm-hmm. uses mantras. Mantras are words or series of words containing the name of the supreme reality. We call that God. And it's a perfect harmonic. And every time we listen to it, three things happen. We experience an increase in love, an increase in fearlessness, and an increase in strength. So you just keep repeating that mantra, not verbally, but in your head. We don't repeat it. We listen Uh to it. And, And the more that we form one-pointed attention on that sound, we begin to see intuitively that the mantra arises from the silence, from the unknown, and it also returns to the silence. It returns to the unknown. And our job is to follow the mantra beyond the boundaries of thinking, to follow the mantra beyond the boundaries of feeling. And when the mantra merges back into the silence, we are aware of the silence. And that's where all the other new new ideas and creativity and... uh the infinite you know, the number of possibilities exist. Mm-hmm. The infinite exactly. number of possibilities exist in the yes. silence between in the two silence. thoughts. Yes. yes, yes. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful, Leonard. I am going to get your book on Kindle, and uh, I'm so excited to read it. And this has just been a, a wonderful, wonderful show because uh, it's exactly where I'm at right now, and I love to share messages like this, and you're so focused and so everyone out there listening, Leonard Perlmutter, my wonderful guest, uh, please check out his book, Your Conscience, and his website, yourconscience.org. Is that it? Yep. Great. And I hope everyone has a blessed day. Thank you so much for listening to Second Vision. Stay positive, healthy, and find your joy. Thank you, Leonard. I'm Thank Christian you. McDonald for Second Vision.